Hey there, Soulmates. Uh, plenty to discuss on this Monday. Hope the weekend was good. It went by pretty quick. It did. And yeah. It got chilly real quick, It did. Too. It did from mm. summer to winter, right? But thank God we are here. Welcome to Foxhole's Black Report. Uh, we're going to take a look at the National Urban League's annual State of Black America report. It is out. And we'll also break it down for you. And then we're going to talk about what Morgan Freeman has to say about the term African-American. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nick Cordelai Corte, plus the family of a man who says their loved one was eaten alive in his cell and what California is doing to improve outcomes for black students. They're the stories that impact our people. Our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation for the day. A white man allegedly shot a 16-year-old black boy in the head twice after he mistakenly rang the doorbell of the wrong house while picking up his siblings. This happened in North Kansas City, Missouri, uh, late last week. Now, the victim's name is Ralph Yarl. He ran to three different homes before someone helped him. The family calls the incident a hate crime, but the shooter was released without charges. The victim's aunt demands justice, saying that the shooter's intention was to kill Yarl. A protest was being held to bring attention to the issue of racial violence and injustice in America. The victim's aunt created a GoFundMe page to help pay for the boy's medical bills, therapy, and future expenses. The family has raised over $135,000 of their $500,000 goal. This is just... Uh absolutely outrageous mm -hmm. uh, and to add insult to injury the Kansas City defenders reporting that the white shooter who was taken into police custody mm -hmm. to provide a statement was released shortly after without any charges held against him I don't know where in the world do you shoot anybody in the head unprovoked mm -hmm. not once but twice you go to the police station, you give them a statement, and then you go home in time for dinner. Yeah, the family is is calling um, a, a hate crime, uh, definitely, uh, you know, racial uh, profiling. Now, uh, civil rights attorneys uh, Lee Merritt and Ben Crump are now involved, uh, calling for justice, calling for yet another arrest. I remember uh, some years ago here in Detroit, kind of a similar story, a young lady, I do believe she had some car trouble, and uh, she went to the nearest resident, and that man um, shot and killed her on uh, his doorstep. Uh, happened in Dearborn, Michigan, which sits right outside of Detroit. And uh, after a long, arduous uh, process, uh, he did uh, end up uh, being found guilty. Uh, so we're calling for justice. Uh, we're hoping that that uh, uh, department reconsider. Uh, and, and if they don't, we're just going to have to keep pushing and fighting. And especially with these two um, amazing attorneys on board, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll see some movement in the uh, justice, if you will, direction. Uh, hopefully very, very soon. It's amazing that Ralph Yarrow is still alive, though he is fighting for his life. Yeah, we the fact that the he best. was able to get up and run away, mm -hmm. um, you know, that shouldn't happen to any of our kids. Yeah, and our and, prayers to his and, family uh, as well and him as he tries to recover. Yeah, it does. Uh, according to the National Urban League, one of the biggest threats to democracy for black Americans is the extreme views of some political leaders who seek to limit what history can be taught in schools and undermine black officials' job performance. The league's annual report reveals an increase in hate crimes, efforts to change curriculums, and extremist views being normalized in politics, law enforcement, and the military. 
Critical race theory is a prominent area examined and laws that are having a chilling effect on teaching the country's racial conflicts will lead to major gaps in understanding history and social justice. And joining us now to discuss in detail the state of black America is one of our first uh, black report uh, guests between you and myself, right. Mark Morial, president and CEO of the National uh, Urban League. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. We know you are on the go. We heard you getting ready and prepping to talk with us. We appreciate you so much, brother. Hey, thank you very, very much. And I want to congratulate you all uh, on the success of the Black Report. And just let you know, I was alerted to the uh, incident in Kansas City last mm -hmm. evening mm -hmm. by Gwen Grant, the president of the Kansas City Urban League. We should all be outraged. Up we in should arms. be mm -hmm. uh, angered because our report talks about uh, the climate, the pandemic of hate, extremism, and white supremacy, and how it's it's seeping into mainstream political thought. And and this uh, shooter, no doubt, uh, is reflective of the extreme gun culture, mm -hmm. the animus uh, and irrational fear of young black men that is produced and nurtured and created by this extremist ideology, which is infiltrating this country. And uh, when it was on the fringe, we knew it was there. Now hmm. you have mainstream politicians mouthing the rhetoric of the far, far right, mouthing the rhetoric of hate, extremism, white supremacy and nationalism. And it is affecting lawmaking. It is affecting lawmaking. This in deluge of voter suppression bills that have been introduced in state legislatures across the nation. This censorship of books and effort to suppress African-American history. This effort by militia groups and others uh, to build active relationships with law enforcement to further their ideology are but some examples of what this report uh, really does, which is it talks about the fire in America, mm. the fire of hate. And we've got to push against it. Uh, it's good to see people in Kansas City standing up. Uh, we have to protest. We have to legislate. We have to litigate. And we've got to vote for people who reject this kind of thinking. That's right. Well, you know, uh, speaking of uh, the kind of thinking that we want to promote, this year's Urban League State of the Black America report it just came out, as you mentioned, and the report identified some key threats to black Americans. You mentioned a number of them, but, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit about um, how confident are you that in, in our ability to, you know, be able to meet this moment? There is a, a, a barrage of issues that are impacting our community. Uh, you know, how confident are you in our ability to organize and mobilize um, when there are just so many issues? Uh, there are so many fires that are burning. We have no choice. We have no choice but to meet the moment uh, to resist and to build a resistance movement that is stronger than the movement of hate and supremacy we see. When you look at polling, for example, uh, on just the issue of gun safety laws, most Americans, almost two thirds of Americans, do not believe that gun laws are strong enough. Most Americans support bans on assault weapons. Most Americans support diversity, equity, and inclusion. Most Americans oppose the censorship of books. So one thing we have to realize that while this movement is loud 
it does not reflect the sentiment of the vast majority of people in this nation. So we've got to continue uh, to do our work and to stand up and fight. And our hope is that this report becomes a call to action, but it is a call to action uh, for people in this nation. Yeah, and speaking of that call to action, I've, I've got a question about the Urban League, and of course, it's always been down for black economic power. But before I go to that, your take on on the two Justins, uh, that's, what, that's what I'm calling them, this iconic status by way of the way that they um, really answered uh, to the moment uh, as you talk about gun control and the fallout uh, there in Tennessee. Talk a little bit about that before we get to the they state of black economics. Were, they were expelled Mm-hmm. No, they were propelled. Mm. They were propelled to global uh, status as icons and as martyrs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movement in Tennessee to expel them is as far uh, extreme an attack on democracy as I've ever seen. And just historically, Julian Bond was expelled from the Georgia legislature. Uh, in the 1960s because of his views on the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. He was ultimately reinstated by the Supreme Court. Adam Clayton Powell was removed from the Congress after he had served there for some 25 years because of a right-wing cabal in the Congress. He was reinstated by the United States Supreme Court. So it's great to see two young elected officials. Mm-hmm. Both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson are young elected officials. And my hope is that it inspires mm. uh, more young people to run for office, more young people to be engaged in the policy making uh, realm of legislatures and city councils and school boards all across the nation. And we stand with them and it is positive that they've been reinstated. That Tennessee legislature gave the state of Tennessee a global black eye. Mm-hmm. And now you hear nothing from them. They've gone into hiding because their actions were not justifiable. Yeah. Mr. Morial, you are having the first in-person conversation about this year's State of Black America report tomorrow at Morehouse College. Why was it important to have this discussion at an HBCU and how can our viewers watch? So last year we were at Clark Atlanta University. It was a great success. We decided to return because we have to, as an urban league movement, uh, as, as, as civil rights organizations, do more to connect with the next generation, do more to connect with young people. So that's what this reflects. Let's bring the report to a campus. There's gonna be a dynamic panel discussion involving young leaders from all of the schools in the Atlanta University Center. And it's a reflection of what uh, I've tried to do in the time I've been at the National Urban League, focus more on young people. We've stood up the young professionals. We've now got a program that's on college campuses. We have got to connect uh, and build bridges among generations uh, in order to be able to do the work we need to do and to continue to fight these battles. So with this report in mind, you know, what is the Urban League's message right now to uh, black America? And if you can add in there uh, some of the finances and, and, and what we're looking to uh, so, ahead. Yeah, on an economic front, we see low black unemployment. We see a fairly substantial recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's always on one hand and then on the other hand. So on one hand, we have the lowest black unemployment rate that we've had in American history. But on the other hand, the economic divide when it comes to both income and wealth remains as wide as it has ever been. 
and the economic figures show a comeback, a slow comeback when it comes to home ownership to the losses we had during the pandemic. But still, the divide between the number of white homeowners on a percentage basis and the number of black homeowners on a percentage basis is substantial. Uh, it is it is it is 20 percent plus. So on an economic front, you see mixed signals. One signal I do want to point out, which is a strong signal, and that is the number of people who are embracing entrepreneurship, particularly the number of black women who are embracing entrepreneurship, building businesses. It's the fastest growing subset uh, of this sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem in America. So there are good signs. But there's also the continued divide that exists when it comes to economics and the foreboding threat of inflation uh, and a potential downturn. So uh, we've made strides from the 15 percent unemployment we saw in the black community during the pandemic to the 5 percent we have now. Mm -hmm. But that's got to be taken in context. Well, such so many rich insights yeah. in this report, and we want everyone to know that if you want to read the Urban League's full State of Black America's report, visit stateofblackamerica.org. Mr. Morial, thank you as always for joining Thanks us for right here me. on Fox Souls Black and Report. Come back can again. Watch it tomorrow. Watch it tomorrow online, nul.org, 10 a.m. live from Morehouse College. Indeed. Travel safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Indeed. All right, black leaders or black uh, police leaders, that is, acknowledge the systemic racism still plagues their profession despite their presence. The outspoken president of the Black Police Association of Dallas, Terrence Hopkins, said black police leaders still face challenges in addressing bad policing and racism within the force. However, black leaders also see opportunities to foster better relationships with communities and save more black lives. This weekend, black police chiefs, commissioners and sheriffs along with commanders from across the country, will gather right here in Detroit for the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives Annual CEO Symposium. The event includes discussions on diversity, equity and inclusion in policing, mental health responses and managing responses to mass shootings. And speaking of police, police are investigating following a shooting at a Sweet 16 birthday party on Saturday night in Dadeville, Alabama, where four people were killed and 28 others were injured. The attack occurred at the Mahogany Masterpiece Dance Studio at 10.30 p.m., where law enforcement officials have yet to determine a motive or identify any suspects. Now, while 15 victims were treated at the Lake Martin Community Hospital, some were transferred to other hospitals for treatment. An investigation is currently underway, and the community is being urged to provide any relevant information. The incident adds to the growing number of gun violence cases across the United States just this year. Yeah, it was just a, you know, a horrifying scene. You, you read the headlines, you know, you're into your weekend and, you know, you try to do your best to make sure your weekend is safe, regardless of what it is you choose to do. And just to see this uh, at a sweet 16, mm -hmm. uh, a moment uh, in time that is supposed to be sweet, that is supposed to be an ushering in uh, to uh, the later part of your or of your teen years and the things you're supposed to experience to be marred. Uh, by uh, gun violence is just uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate and you you want to think it's unthinkable but unfortunately in this in this day and time that we live in these these headlines continue to happen 
That's continue right. to happen. That's right. And, 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 and too often, I mean, I was really disturbed, you know, by a tweet that the governor of of uh, Alabama put out. Governor, mm -hmm. governor Kay Ivey tweeted on Sunday morning that she was grieving the events in Dadeville but did not provide any further details. And it's like, you're the governor, mm -hmm. right? We need you to do more than just grieve, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and this is the same governor uh, that repealed, you know, sort of the concealed carry law in Alabama. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's like if you want to do something, you know, to help our young people, help our babies to keep us safe, you know, uh, you know, don't repeal the gun laws that were put there to to keep us safe, you know, put them in place and put them in place so we don't have to. So she and we don't have to continue to do yeah, this excessive grieving. Yeah, I agree. All right. Moving on here. LaShawn Thompson died in custody at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta. This was back in September of 22. His family now claims he was eaten alive by bed bugs and lice. Thompson was arrested and charged with simple battery in June of 22. And three months later, he was found unresponsive. His body was covered in bed bug bites and the Fulton County Medical Examiner's report mentioned a severe bed bug infestation. Now the cause of death was undetermined, but Thompson's relatives believe the bites became infected, resulting in cardiac arrhythmia. The family is calling for a criminal investigation and the closure of that jail. Actor Morgan Freeman has criticized the usage of Black History Month and African American, stating that the terms are an insult. In an interview with the Sunday Times, the 85-year-old actor expressed his belief that the yearly celebration of Black History Month carries a negative meaning for him as it restricts his culture to only four weeks. Now, Freeman also argued that, quote, African-American is an insult, saying he doesn't subscribe to that title as black people have had different titles all the way back to the N-word in the interview. Uh, Freeman highlighted that the uh, of the increase of representation in the media. Well, let's let's keep, you know, the tradition of Black uh, History Month, but let's make it make something. We know if you know the history, it started as a week and it expanded uh, to a month. Lots of jokes surrounding, you know, Black History Month in one of the shortest uh, months of the year. But we know Black History is, is 365. Yeah, we, We've got to know that. And, and Uncle uh, Freeman, uh, you know, I'm sure he knows that as well. I kind of sort of agree with him. I always subscribe to, to Black. Uh, black works fine for me. I can understand, you know, what uh, African American and, and, and what that includes and what it, what that's supposed to me mean. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, a Black American, a Black woman, that's fine for me. Yeah, and, for, and so for, I, I get what he's saying. You know, and and for folks like me, where literally one of your parents is from Africa. There you go. Uh, was born and raised there, mm -hmm. and one parent was born and raised here in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, I really do connect with African American, more specifically Ghanaian American, mm -hmm. and so. You know, why does it have to be one or the, or other, the other? Why right? can't it just be all of it? Because you know what? We're not a monolith. <laughs> just, saying. just saying. Coming up, the increasing impacts on the health of black men. Yes, we'll tell you why experts say black men face more health hurdles than any other group. We got you back, brothers. We got you back. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Appreciate you, sis. Welcome back to Fox News Black Report. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris spoke at an abortion rights rally in Los Angeles on Saturday, saying that attacking women's rights 
is attacking mm. America. Now, the Supreme Court temporarily upheld the use of the abortion drug Mufaprazone uh, after recent restrictions were sought. Now, the justices are being asked to focus on parts of the April 7th ruling in Texas that can be enforced while the case continues. Now, last year, the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade allowed some states to ban abortions. Social epidemiologist Roland Thorpe Jr. is on a mission to improve black men's health and life expectancy, including his own, as both his grandfathers died prematurely from heart disease. He leads the Black Men's Health Project aimed at highlighting the health crisis of black men who have the worst health profiles in the United States with premature mortality rates higher than those of any other group. Thorpe points out that black men are 30% more likely to die of heart disease than white men and 60% more likely to die of stroke. He emphasizes the need for black men to engage with the healthcare system, establish relationships with primary care physicians, and receive preventative care. Mental health stigma is a major issue in the black community, and we're seeking therapy or counseling is sometimes discouraged. Despite the challenges, advocates are working to break down the barriers to accessing mental health care and provide resources and support to those who need it. Yeah, and uh, we have the pleasure of speaking with Kobe Campbell, a licensed trauma therapist, author, wellness advocate, and podcaster. She's releasing her debut book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith Tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Kobe. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to share with you guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So can you tell us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to write about healing? Oh man, you know, you spoke about the stigma of mental health. And, you know, I remember being young and in college, struggling with depression, trying to figure out how my, my depression like integrated with my faith. Mm. And I struggled to find a black therapist. Mm. I struggled to find someone who looked like me, who I didn't have to explain my context to. I struggled to find someone who I felt like I could just fully breathe and receive the services from because it was really stigmatized. And so this book really is about helping people understand that they have trauma and that dealing with their trauma doesn't negate their faith, that dealing with their trauma really can enhance their faith and their faith can enhance their trauma recovery and their healing process. Because, you know, for me, I was just lost. Mm. I felt like, why am I like this? That's why the book was named that. I felt like there was no resources as a young black woman to figure out why am I feeling this way? Why am I stuck in these patterns? Why can't I break these cycles? And so I wrote this book really for every past version of me that lives in someone else who's looking for resources to live a life that they love and enjoy um, and not feel like they're stuck with the, the card that life has handed them. Yeah, and we're, as you're talking, we're looking at the video. It looks like you just uh, were thumbing through a, a print, a new print, a hard, uh, soft copy, and you're crying, very passionate uh, you know, about this journey. So as you have journeyed on, what are some of the common misconceptions about trauma and healing that, that you've encountered in this work, in this, in this journey? 
Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that trauma and deep pain is a moral failure. That if you feel bad, it's because you are bad. If you feel bad, it's because you did something bad. It's some type of consequence coming back to you. And I really invite my clients into a curiosity instead of just asking, like, why did I do that? Asking what happened to me? that made me want to respond in that way? What experiences have I had that have led me to these patterns that I'm trying to break, but I'm struggling to break? I think another misconception is that trauma always has to be physical harm. Hmm. That mm-hmm. is absolutely not true. The part of our brain that processes physical pain also processes emotional pain. Our brain doesn't differentiate them. So words hit, hurt just as much as someone hitting you and rejection hurts just as much as someone pushing you. And I think on a heart level, we know that, but I wanted to have the science to back it up. I wanted to help people know, I'm not just telling you it hurts because I care about you. I'm telling you it hurts because your body is telling you that. And that's worth listening to. Kobe, you have you have a significant following on TikTok. Um, tell us, how has social media helped or hurt your advocacy work and attempt to reach a wider audience? Oh man, I think, really I think for the most part, social media has really helped. I think that people want to get the information to understand themselves a little bit deeper without having to pay the immediate price of being vulnerable with someone that they don't know, right? I have thousands and thousands of DMs from people who are like, I'm finally going to therapy because I'm finally accepting and realizing that something might be wrong. I'm finally realizing and accepting that I might have anxiety, I might have depression. And so I've enjoyed giving little bits and pieces um, to people so that they can see for themselves. You know, I always say, if you can talk someone into something, you can talk them out of it. But when you experience that sense of like, oof, that resonates, that's what moves people to do something about their pain and social media has really helped me do that. Yeah, and you are a busy, busy sister, <laughs> aside from all the hats that you you know, you know, wear, you've, you've got the book, and then in addition to that, you host a podcast, it's called uh, The Healing Circle. Uh, you host that with your husband, Kyle. How is that process of creating a podcast and sharing your experiences uh, with your husband? What is that like for you? Oh man, it has been beautiful to Mm -hmm. be quite honest. Mm -hmm. I think that my work has helped my husband heal and I Mm -hmm. love having him as a co-host, as a black man who's a Mm co-host, as a black man in corporate America, as a co-host who started out as a mental health skeptic. It's not that bad, you know, he's a military brat. It's not that bad, suck it up, work harder. Nobody cares, just do the right thing. And if you're experiencing this, it's because you're just not disciplined enough, you're not working hard enough. And my husband gets to be the voice of really the heart of many of the people who are listening Mm -hmm. because many of them can identify with where he started more than they can identify with the information I'm sharing. And so it's been a really sweet gift to um, see him grow in his healing, but also a really sweet gift to provide people with expert information and then dad jokes through my husband, plus (laughs) (laughs) to the truth that you can go from someone who didn't think depression was real to being a mental health advocate. And it is safe to heal as black people, it's safe. We can find safe places as black men, as black women. 
it's safe for us to heal. We deserve healing. Healing is part of our inheritance. Healing is part of our birthright too. Mm. We do not have to continue to suffer and we get to create resources and environments that help each other heal. And I'm just grateful that, you know, my podcast gets to be that for people. Yeah, Amen. Amen. And I hate that you had to go through what you had to go through, but on the other side of it, this is your calling. You are anointed and we just appreciate you and your message and your work. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you're really, you're really, you're really going to help a lot of people mm-hmm. with your podcast, with your work, your advocacy. We really thank you. Uh, please come back again yes. to Fox Souls Black An Report official soulmate. Time. <laughs> yes. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for joining us. And hundreds of students at a middle school in Portland walked out of class to protest the administrative leave of two teachers, Damon Keller and Phyllis Harris. Now, the school district claims the leave was due to personal matters, but students and parents say it's a part of a larger issue with the district firing black faculty members. Former teacher Chris Reiser said the problem has been ongoing since 2006 and the district is, quote, hemorrhaging educators of color. Assistant Principal Spencer Crum also has also come under fire for culturally identifying as black despite being a white man and for alleged violations of Title IX. Yeah, I mean, this is just really kind of silly to me because if you're trying to recruit and retain more teachers, particularly mm-hmm. teachers of color, the way to go about it is not by, you know, getting rid of them, you know, with these systems of minor infractions where, okay, somebody used too many vacation days or too many of their sick days, you know, or things that I would probably deem as, as relatively minor. And so, you know, um, you know, we know that black teachers matter, especially at a time where we see black history, uh, as Mark Morial mentioned earlier, um, really being censored in schools. And so, you know, uh, come on, Portland. Yeah. And, and I know nowadays you can identify as you wish. However, if, if principal was trying to win, assistant principal was trying to win some folks over by identifying as black, and clearly he is a white man, I don't know, you know, how well that would, you know, go over, especially when racial tensions are a bit high, uh, you know, based upon the argument of, of some of the parents and, and these uh, teachers who have been let go. I just don't think that strategy uh, uh, works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so hopefully, um, you know, Portland can check themselves and get themselves together. We've talked about their school system, you know, before and and how it needs a little help. And, uh, you know, unless you want to continue to have negative press uh, when it comes to how you're going about educating kids and the atmosphere Mm -hmm. that you're creating, then uh, there's some things that they should possibly look at. But, you know, it's really good to see it's good. It's good to see these young people peacefully protesting. That's right. right. Uh, And so keep it up, Portland. Mm -hmm. Governor Gavin Newsom's proposal to set aside three hundred million dollars for low income schools in California. California is being considered by the state's legislature. However, some education advocates argue that it does not do enough to improve educational outcomes for black students. Assemblymember Akila Weber introduced a bill just last year aimed at ensuring that more education money reaches black students, but withdrew it after conversations with Newsom. The new approach targets money to schools with a high concentration of students who qualify for free lunch under a federal program. Now, while it's gaining support from some lawmakers, advocates want a more targeted solution to benefit black students. How to improve the the outcome of black students? Money, resources. 
I mean, you can you can put it, all the policies and have all the talk and, and participate in all the rhetoric, but these kids need to be supported first and foremost with with the money that will allow for the resources. And you know, you're gonna we're gonna have to go back to this holistic approach, you know, to their upbringing. It's not just about you know reading and arithmetic. Mm -hmm. It's about their mental and physical well-being and the home. We cannot you know excuse the home first and foremost. That's that's yeah. that's first base. You know, that's home base actually. Um, and getting the and finding a way to re-engage uh, these parents, especially as you have, you know, different generational parents. You have, you know, grandparents mm -hmm. who are raising kids. You have, you know, now millennials, whether it be older, younger millennials. You get Gen Xers who are grandparents at this point raising kids. So you're going to have to, you know, speak to and tap into, you know, those folks who are raising these kids and responsible for these young people. And then you're going to have to partner that with yeah. some resources. Bottom line is money. I mean, and, and shout out to the Black in School Coalition, which consists of a lot of black parents uh, and educators that are pushing to make sure that this $300 billion is targeted, mm -hmm. uh, targeted towards academic performance, mm -hmm. chronic absenteeism, mm -hmm. uh, college and career advancement, and English learning progress. Those are some of the areas where black students in California aren't faring well enough. And so uh, as goes California, as goes the nation, we're going to keep our eye on this. All right, still ahead from American Idol to the library, Fantasia has set some new goals for herself. That's right, and we'll tell you all about the singer's plans to return to school. Mm. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. She'll be in the library a lot. We love to see Yes, it. I love it. Welcome you back, soulmates. Let's go to Pittsburgh, where the Penguins, that's the hockey team, is looking to make things right after inheriting land that originally belonged to a black church. That's right. Over the weekend, the team announced that they've reached an agreement with Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church to correct the decades-old wrongs. Bethel AME was founded around 1808 and is considered Pittsburgh's oldest black church. A century later, in 1906, it opened a large brick building in the Lower Hill District. Now, that's the area where the hockey team in 1967 built on. Now, according to the uh, Associated Press, the Penguins are awarding Bethel AME the freedom <laughs> I don't know if I like that, awarding them the freedom to use a 1.5 acre parcel of land near its arena that once belonged to the church. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> you, you giving back what belonged to me in the first place. So, and, and why not partner that with a little education? Why not partner that with some exposure to hockey and what's hockey and what hockey has been all about? Hockey has a deep, deeply rooted, really African-based mm -hmm. um, start. Uh, you know, we're close to Canada here. Hockey has always been a part of the black culture here in Detroit. And maybe expose those young people to what hockey is all about and open up new avenues. So yeah, give them back the land that, 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 that once belonged to them, but also open up the doors, open up some education, open up some, some, some leagues or practices where these young people can come in and be exposed to something that once belonged to us as well. 
All you got to do is Google the history on hockey hunting. Right. And hopefully to your point, hopefully what they've done, this is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. This is just the beginning uh, and will include a whole lot more public education efforts so. because as somebody that's not from, you know, the Detroit area, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know that hockey, hockey was, was as was huge oh, among yeah. black folks mm -hmm. uh, uh, here in the area and in other places. That's right. We It's the Detroit Red Wings and, and you will see black folks in hockey jerseys indeed. So it's always been a part of our culture pal league here. The, the hockey league once uh, existed. So, yeah. Always learn something with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in Louisiana, a small town is honoring the victims of a violent race massacre that left dozens of black residents dead with a new memorial. The Colfax massacre took place when newly emancipated black voters had a confrontation with white Confederate sympathizers in town. The new tribute is replacing a racist historical marker that is within Grant Parish, first created in 1951, to originally mark the anniversary of the day. Now, uh, it was first considered a riot that marked the end of misrule in the South. That statue uh, has and was demolished in 2021. And a new seven-foot granite monument stands on the 150th anniversary of the massacre. All right, speaking of progress here, singer Fantasia has added a new title to her name, College Student. You remember the season three American Idol winner announced on Instagram Live that she's pursuing a degree. Uh, she dropped out of school back at the age of, of 14 and then years later went on to earn a G GED. Uh, Tasia says her sorority sisters uh, have motivated her to take this leap. Uh, she became an honorary member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated uh, just last year. She's very proud of that moment, and she you often see her representing uh, the sorority and, and the colors. But this is an amazing feat. Everybody remembers, you know, Fantasia mm -hmm. and the victory after she won the idol. I yeah. remember her brother used to say, that you won the idol. Yeah. Uh, and just how transparent and honest she has been about her journey. I did some radio in Charlotte you know, one of her hometowns. Um, and so we've had a chance to sit down a lot and talk about her journey. And every time it turns into church and a testimony. Yeah. And it's just the testimony that, that keeps on giving. I love it. Yeah, love I to mean, see it. And I think it's incredible. I mean, the fact that, you know, she joined Sigma Gamma Rho mm -hmm. and, you know, she said that, that by being a part of the sorority, that's mm -hmm. a part of what inspired her mm -hmm. to go back to school, to keep going, yeah. right? And so, you know, that is uh, a, a part of the power of the Panhellenic mm -hmm. uh, life, mm -hmm. right? You know, and our appeal. fraternities and sororities sure. are about more than just, you know, celebrating, but being in community and really encouraging one another. Yeah, and big on education, especially some of Gamma Rolls, lots of amazing, amazing teachers. That's right. That sorority. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of amazing, Oprah <laughs> is coming home to give the commencement speech at her alma mater, Tennessee State University. The media mogul will serve as the keynote speaker for the undergraduate commencement next month. Over 800 students are expected to be in the audience for the historic speech. While Oprah attended TSU, she landed a job at Nashville's WLAC-TV, leaving her one credit short of graduating. Well, Oprah later returned in 1986 to turn in her final assignment and mm -hmm. graduate. So another reminder, Courtney, that it is never, it is never too late. Too late. Uh, and to see, you know, Fantasia and, and Oprah, you know, sort of taking the non-traditional route, but, you know, finishing what they started, hopefully that inspires uh, even more of our soulmates. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, you know, when, when Oprah 
you know, comes to speak, you never know what else she might bless you with. You know, maybe you, you get your loan paid off or you get your loan paid off. You know, she'll throw something out there. Right. But um, just the, the message alone and, and what she has a tendency to um, deposit when she does make stops like this at that commencement. Uh, very awe-inspiring. And uh, I love to go back and catch it on YouTube or, uh, you know, on social media because um, even though she's talking to those folks who are just starting in their path, you know, it still, it still rings true to all the paths that we're on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up next, tell them when to go. Applies to everyone except E40. You don't mess with E40. You do not mess with E40. As much money as he pays to sit courtside, he's like a mainstay. When we return, the reason why the rapper says he was ejected from this weekend's NBA playoff game was probably why they lost. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Bay Area's finest, E40. Listen, you don't mess with E40. <laughs> Welcome back, soulmates, to Fox Souls Black Report. Time now to acknowledge a remarkable sports moment. This one on the map. <laughs> University of Florida gymnastics star Trinity Thomas tied a collegiate record for her perfect tens in her last career vault. The 22 year old had just recovered from a lower leg injury as she uh, suffered that last month. Nailed it. Thomas is uh, the all reigning uh, all around NCAA champion. This was her 28th career perfect 10, tying the all time mark. She will graduate with a master's in health education and behavior. All right, so let's go to Cali, where the Sacramento Kings are promising a full investigation into an incident involving one of the greats, rapper E-40, being ejected from Saturday night's playoff game. Meanwhile, E-40 says racism had to do with his removal. Uh, E-40 was kicked out of his seat at the Golden One Center following complaints. He was blocking the view of the fans behind him by standing up too often. Videos posted on social media show him visibly upset as he's being led away by security guards. You see here, uh, the rapper claims he was the target of racial bias. You're at, you're in a stadium. What do you mean you're standing up too often? So how many times exactly are we supposed to stand up? Mm. Is it is it is it a few times, a quarter? Like you know, is it on the back of the ticket? I mean, you know, how often are we supposed to stand up? Let a brother know because uh, I, I was under the impression that if I'm paying for a ticket to enjoy a sports event, mm -hmm. that there is no limitation in terms of you know, how many times I clap or, or stand up or sit down. And it didn't seem like E-40 was being obnoxious about anything. I mean, it's a sports game. Yeah, and he's a courtside mainstay. You know, he, he is big on, on that team. And, you know, let me ask, say, you know, put this out there. If Jack Nicholson was standing up and down at the Lakers game, we know he's a, he's a mainstay there. You know, would it have gotten to the point where he would have been escorted out? Mm -hmm. And not only, um, you know, was this the reason we're also hearing, you know, with, with reports, uh, you know, across social media that that fan was taunting him as well. So, yeah, definitely investigate, definitely get this right because, you know, this is a huge fan, a huge supporter. The players love him. You know, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want this to be a uh, PR nightmare. So uh, let's get the facts uh, right and get them straight. And uh, you probably need to, you know, have a couple of uh, courtside complimentary games to kind of smooth this thing over. Yeah. And yeah. also think about the message that this sends to, you know, some of the 
the black fans, mm -hmm. right? You know, that also like to stand up and clap, you know, and do all the things that people mm -hmm. do, you know, at sports games. Yeah. It just seems silly to me. So silly. Get it right. Yeah. Well, Dan Snyder has an agreement in principle to sell the Washington Commanders NFL franchise to a group. That group includes NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson and New Jersey Devils owner Josh Harris for $6 billion. Wow. wow. It's the most money ever spent on a North American professional sports team. Snyder brought the team, uh, brought them, bought them from uh, for $750 million in 1999, Magic is already a part owner of the Dodgers, the L.A. Sparks, and the LAFC. And I was wondering, when we were talking about this in our morning meeting, does this, this propel him, you know, closer to the billionaire list? I would think so. According to um, one of our staff members, Derek, he yeah. said he's probably worth about $700 million. So he's just about there. But let me tell you, Magic has just taken it to uh, the next level. And... You know, you have this uh, amazing, adored, celebrated athlete mm -hmm. who has shifted and transitioned into this amazing, celebrated, adored entrepreneur. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's nonstop for him. And so to continue to see and tap into these accolades, um, to let folks know that, you know, this can be done and it is happening, mm -hmm. um, is a good look, especially when you're talking about the NFL and ownership. Yeah. You and, know. And, and also not without controversy. I mm -hmm. mean, it, it, within our lifetime, you know, Magic was in the headlines as, as somebody who, you know, was HIV positive mm -hmm. um, at a time where the country didn't know much about that. And there, you know, uh, there were a lot of, uh, you know, conclusions that people drew from that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he didn't allow that to be a scarlet letter. You know, uh, he has leaned into advocacy around HIV AIDS as much as he has leaned into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all better for it. Our community is better for it from a public health standpoint. And he is such a powerful demonstration of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, and what's possible after you leave the league? I mean, so many athletes before him, mm -hmm you know, didn't have, you know, sort of a life after the game. Uh, and look at this guy. He's, he's almost billionaire status. He's giving back to the community, you know, and he represents so much of what's good, you know, about our people. And so congratulations to, to Magic Johnson, you know, for just another feat and just being just a great inspiration to yeah. us all. And he's unapologetically black and he, he, he'll, make, he'll make it known he's doing this you know, for us, by us, which is also a good look. And speaking of, uh, well, somebody who is a billionaire, LeBron James continues to break records. Now that uh, James is all time, the all-time leading scorer of the NBA, he now leads the NBA in jersey sales. A tweet from the NBA store was shared online over the weekend of the top selling jerseys. Topping the list is LeBron James, followed by Steph Curry and Jason Tatum. The only thing missing from the list was the number of jerseys that have actually uh, been sold. But you I mean, there's no surprise here. I mean, this guy is, is top tier amongst the top tier of, of players. So there's no surprise here. I mean, and jerseys are the least of it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, sneakers. I mean, everybody wants to get their hands on something affiliated with LeBron James. And mm -hmm. even outside of merchandising, I mean, you know, look at, you know, what he's doing to give back to, you know, the Community. school he created in Ohio mm -hmm. and all the other philanthropic efforts yeah. and creative projects. I mean, he is he's hot for all the right reasons. 
He is, and as soon as you try to, you know, maybe doubt him a little bit, he comes back even harder. I watched the game last night against uh, the Grizzlies. I think I think some the, the fan favorites might be uh, the Grizzlies, except for those who are who are Lakers fans and. You know that boy still got it. He still got hops, and he's still clutch. And 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 they 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 got at the Grizzlies on their home court. So um, it, it looks like you know he's well on his way, maybe to another title. A lot of people were doubting if the Lakers could get mm-hmm. past the Grizzlies. I don't know if they can stay healthy and keep playing like they did last night. The Grizzlies uh, down in Memphis might have a, a little bit of a hard time. And what makes it amazing is because the Lakers' season started out so dismal. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody was down on on James, but uh, he always finds a way. To, to come back, him and his boys. So the we'll only see thing, what happens with only, that series. The only thing better than watching LeBron James mm-hmm. is watching his son, you know, begin to sort of step into that legacy. And so it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how his son, Bronny, yeah. how he remixes mm-hmm. that legacy. I know, I know LeBron wants to stay healthy and stay in there and hopes that maybe they'll run up and down the court together. That would be fascinating. We want to see it. All right, up next, uh, y'all know, get ready. It's, it's our favorite segment, Black Excellence Time. That's right. We'll introduce <laughs> you to the oldest black vet from World War II. Amazing. Don't you go anywhere. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hole's Black Report. Okay, time for black excellence. Yes, the oldest living black World War II veteran turns 100 years old. An amazing story. His name is Thomas Taylor. He is from Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. He is now one of the oldest living African-American survivors of that war. But reaching 100 years hasn't been easy, especially after fighting in one of the world's most costly conflicts, even after his time overseas and serving. Thomas faced more challenges, such as dealing with the deaths of his wife and son. But he uh, continued to live and work and creating a very fulfilling life. That's right. Taylor says that, quote, when you're having problems, don't let them get to you. Mm-hmm. Just stick them out and try to realize what you can do. If you can do something, do it. If you can't, don't try and overload yourself. That's right. Let it go. Put them bags down. We love that advice. We love that. All right. A father gives his son 40 acres without the mule <laughs> of land for his 13th birthday. Fahim Muhammad says his mom taught him and his siblings how important it is to own property. So he's passing on the life lesson to his son. Oh, I love the story so much. Muhammad, the co-founder of a real estate investment company in Los Angeles, bought 198 acres of land in 2021 to get away from the city life. His Mm. company buys and rebuilds properties and teaches people about home ownership. So when his son, also named Fahim, turned 13 on March 16th, he gave him a 40-acre portion of the property in San Diego County to teach him the importance of land ownership and building generational wealth. Yeah, again, Mohammed credits the success to his mother. He says when they were little, him and his siblings, his mom used to stress the importance of owning property and contributing to society uh, back when they were just little itty-bitty kids. And, and look at them now. I know the company, I'm familiar with them because they do a lot of purchasing on the south side of Chicago uh-huh. and, and rebuilding and plugging people into home ownership and schooling them about it and really um, 
helping others create generational wealth because owning property is key, if not the key, yeah. uh, to, to begin to create that uh, wealth for your family. And what just a beautiful father and son story. We don't hear enough of them. And so we're really proud to be able to feature uh, this story. And let me just add, as a native Californian, mm -hmm. San Diego real estate ain't cheap. Right. So purchasing that many acres right. in San Diego County, mm -hmm. uh, that's a big deal. And, yeah. and uh, that's, that is land that will appreciate very nicely yeah. uh, over over yeah. the next uh, several decades. And, and, it's, so. and it's really a family effort because the mom is still very much involved and they, they, they do workshops and they talk about how life insurance is mm -hmm. also uh, another way to uh, use and manipulate to, to, to gain some generational wealth as well. So a great family and yeah. uh, just a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. All right, for the full rundown on today's stories like that one and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. Don't forget, Soulmates, download the free Fox Soul app. I'm still... I'm still uh uh, enjoying some of those insights from Mark Morial's interview. That yeah, was, it was great. So we, many we, nuggets we, there, and I can't wait to watch yeah, uh, uh, the impressed. live stream of the mm -hmm. State of Black America and on the National Urban League website. Such a busy guy. We heard him setting up for the interview. He was, you know, pausing his day in a hotel lobby to come and check out and, and bless us here at Fox Souls Black Report. So we definitely appreciate his time for yes. sure. And we appreciate your time as well. Yeah. Happy Monday, soulmates. I'm Nick Cordelia And I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, be sure to stay lifted. And stay safe. Yeah, he was hustling. Can you hear me?